<laughs> Thanks, Jono. Thank you very much. Good morning, brothers and sisters. How's everyone doing today? It is my privilege to invite a brother that I've known for almost 20 years now. Uh, and, and when I first came to Australia, there were a couple of gentlemen that uh, God blessed me by coming into contact with them. Um, two South Americans, which I'd, I'd never actually met any South Americans until I came to Australia uh, before. So uh, you already know one, our, our brother Martin, Martin Garcia. And, so, and, and this other brother, uh, us three amigos, were, uh, were, were actually just a great blessing where we would seek to encourage each other, be blessed by each other. And, and this is another man that God has used abundantly in my life uh, to influence me and to encourage me in so many different ways. So uh, it's my honor and privilege to introduce you, our speaker this morning. Please put your hands together and make it feel welcome. Our brother Rodney Trinidad, please. Thank you. Come on, brother. Come on. Wonderful to see you, bro. Wonderful. Thank you, Joe. So, so uh, for those who don't know, Rodney. Uh, so, Rodders, uh, you're not actually, because I know uh, Martin, he's from Peru. That's right. right. But you're not from Peru, no, are you? I'm from Paraguay. Paraguay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know where that is. <laughs> I, I just know that's in South, South America. America. South America. Really so, so, brother, so brother um, as, as a South American, like, are you from a Christian home? Uh, yes, um, but my dad became a Christian in 1979 at a Billy Graham crusade at Randwick here in Sydney. That's awesome. And, uh, so uh, he, he came to faith in the Lord. And then uh, my mum was a, a Christian, but that was really the beginning of our Christian family journey. Oh, very yeah. nice. Very nice. And so how, how now has God led you? So when did you become a Christian then? Well, I became a Christian when I was uh, 17, nearly 18. It was through my uh, principal at school. I grew up in Sutherland, out that way near Janelli, and... Um, I made some really bad choices in school, but my principal was a Christian, and uh, he used the word grace when talking to me. He actually said, I'm going to show you some grace today, and uh, we're not going to go through with the discipline. Um, I'm actually going to take care of what you've done, which wasn't a good thing, and I'll pay for it. I'll fix it all up, and I'm going to let you off the hook, just like God has given you grace by sending his son, Jesus. And that was, although I grew up in that environment, in that language, I guess hearing it from another person just really, it all sort of clicked. That's awesome. Um, can I ask how many times you heard the word grace from your principal? Uh, not a lot. That okay. was a <laughs> I just want to clarify. <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, it, but he was a Christian and uh, it really influenced me a lot. So Awesome. And so uh, if you don't mind me asking, so you, you're married? Yeah, I'm married. 25 how? years next year. Oh, praise God. That's awesome. That's all, yeah. That deserves an applause. Yeah, no, she deserves an applause. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how many children do you have? I have two girls, a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old girl. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And if you don't mind me asking, what are you doing now? In so I work, you to do. funny enough, uh, my father got saved at a Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade. Now I work for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse. So that's what I do right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to pray for you yep, and then please. we'll leave it over to you. And then uh, All right. uh, that you might bless us from God's word Amen. today. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for Rodney. We thank you for the work that you've been doing within his family, within him, and through him by sharing your gospel with mm. those who do not know. Mm. So, Father, I ask that you'll use him now as your vessel, as your mouthpiece, to communicate to us a word that is appropriate for us to hear, yes, a word that will challenge us, a word that will convict us, a word that will change our attitudes uh, about life and mm. about what we're here for. Mm. So, Father, we commit him to your capable hands now. Please use him as your tool. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Well, uh, again, good morning, everyone. And I'm really excited to be here at your church this morning. Now, I go to a local church not far from here. I uh, I attend Kellyville Anglican Church just down the road. We live in Kellyville, my family and I. And uh, I uh, I drive by here often. And I always think of Joe, and I pray for Joe and Grizz and the family here at church because I know you guys congregate and fellowship here in this particular area. So it's good to be here this morning with you. So recently, I had to come all the way back from Paraguay. I had to go and pick up my brother, who is physically and uh, disabled, mentally disabled as well. My mother died two months ago from cancer. My father passed away a few months earlier. Um, And so now my sister and I, we've become carers of my brother. My parents had gone back to Paraguay to open up a special needs school uh, for disabled children. Uh, But when both passed away, we felt it was important to bring my brother back home. Uh, we're all Australian citizens, 
And so when we brought him back home, the airline was kind enough to upgrade us into business class because of my brother's disability. Uh, you know, he needed that special attention. And, um, you know, I've never flown business class before. Not like Joe. He probably flies business class all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you get onto business class and you feel very special. Like, you know, welcome on board, Mr. Trinidad. You don't get that in the economy and cattle class, you know. It's sort of like, you know, if they look at you weird because you've got too much bags, you know. And, uh, but in business class, it's like, man, like royalty, and you get, in, you get on board, they, you know, welcome you with offering you a special drink and all those things. I'm like, wow, you know, this is, I can never go back to economy. I always have to fly business class now. But um, then they bring you out a menu. You actually get a choice of uh, meals. Like, wow, that's like super special. Like, and there's like three choices. And, uh, and I looked at the menu. It's a huge menu like that. And, uh, and I'm looking through it. I'm just like, do I tick every single box? I'll eat everything, you know, that comes my way. But on the very top of the menu, I put, thank you very much. And then I put a smiley face and John 3.16. I learned that many years ago. Whenever I go out for coffee or I sit at a restaurant, I'll always put thank you, a smiley face and John 3.16 and remind them that God loves them. That's all I would say. And many times as I leave the restaurant, the waitress or the waiter or the owner of the restaurant, the coffee shop would say, oh, thanks for that. I have uh, never get a, a thank you like that. What does John 3.16 mean? And uh, it's always a good in for conversation. Uh, we always have to be prepared. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks you of the hope that is in you, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. And as we look at our lives, as we look at the busyness of our life, never underestimate the potential of God gospel moments. Uh, you know, I, I'm passionate about evangelism. I, I think uh, we underestimate uh, the, the need out there for people to hear the gospel. We, we're very safe confined in these walls. We talk about the gospel very naturally. But what's very hard is to talk about Jesus outside of church. But never underestimate what God can do with a gospel seed that you can plant in someone's heart. Because who knows, someone else will come later on and share with them another opportunity to hear, for them to hear the gospel. And so this morning, I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage us in the Word of God to be proactive in sharing your faith, in sharing what God has done in your story, and how your story literally is a story that God can shine through to bring hope to the people out there who need desperately Jesus. Uh, the urgency, my friends, is big. It's a great, great responsibility we have to share the gospel. So I've asked my friend Craig, right? Yes. Craig, I'm going to ask Craig to come up here and, uh, and read the Word of God for us this morning. And then I'll, I'll uh, take a few moments to share a few things from that. Thank you. All right. Mark 10:35. The request of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Jebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. One of the greatest verses in all scripture is found here in this passage. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This passage reminds me about a few things and I want to share with you what God has been speaking to me in the last few weeks. We all go through uh, moments in our lives where we're crying out to God for answers, for the questions that we all have uh, are real questions and we look to God, we seek God in prayer, we seek God in His Word and we ask God through His Holy Spirit to minister and to embrace us and teach us. And I constantly am reminded of that, that God is a sovereign God, that He is a real God, that He loves us, but I also have a lot of questions for God. But this passage will teach me And brothers and sisters, I'm praying that it will teach you through the Holy Spirit and His ministry, the greatness of humility. This is the greatest of service, the greatness of slavery that the theme is in this passage. It's all about serving. And what it does, it it positions us. It puts us in in, in a situation where we have to make a choice. And one of those choices is, what am I going to do with my life and how am I going to reflect Christ with those around me in my acts of service, in my acts of humility? Because I tell you, brothers and sisters, we know this through television, we know this through social media, there's a lot of pride out there. There's a lot of pride. And what the world needs is people that are humble people that are humble, people that reflect and show Christ in their life by serving others. And so, friends, this morning, what's interesting about this passage, it's not the first time that uh, Jesus confronts his disciples, his friends, his followers about humility. You know, they, that this is the, actually the third time, and it's not going to be the last time. You see, there are many times in in Scripture that we read through the life of Jesus, how Jesus, in the life of his disciples, spending time with them, they're about to enter into Jerusalem. Remember that story and and, uh, and death. He's going to talk about his death and his resurrection. And and this subject is raised. Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? You know, will you remember me (laughs) when you go? And there arose a dispute, the Bible says in Luke chapter 22, if you read earlier, arose a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you, that the one who is the greatest among you must become like the least, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So the Lord Jesus kept on bringing this subject up about humility amongst his disciples. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, the bottom line is that Scripture in Scripture is that God hates pride, but He honors humility. God hates pride, but He honors humility. Any student of Scripture, as we study the Word of God, knows this because it's literally everywhere throughout the pages of Scripture. We know that it says in Proverbs chapter 8, 13, you know this one off by heart, the fear of the Lord is to hate what? Pride. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride. In other words, true, true adoration of God, of worshipping God, is to hate pride. It's to hate pride. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 15, again it reminds us, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And again we read in Proverbs chapter 24, when it says a proud heart is sin. A proud heart is sin. It is sin. And there is a lot more in Scripture that talks about pride. There's many passages all throughout the Old Testament. And then we get into the New Testament. And look what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 30. It says, Pride is an element of the reprobate mind. 
1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Pride comes from the devil. I taught this to the, uh, my daughter the other day. And we were talking about pride. And I opened up this scripture and I said, Sweetheart, be careful because pride comes from the devil. In 1 John 2.16, pride is characteristic of the world, the scripture reminds us. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, pride is a mark, listen to this, of false teachers. We have many of those, <laughs> unfortunately, in our world today. James chapter 4, verse 6, pride alienates, listen to this, one from God because God resists the proud. Pride. But then again, on the other hand, in James chapter 4, verse 6, he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Humility. It's a virtue. It's a virtue which God honors. Being humble is something that God honors. Our life is not a life based on our platform. Our life is, should be a life that honors God through being humble. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Scripture tells us, What does the Lord require of you but to do justly? But to do justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Act justly to walk humbly with your God. Or one of the, my favorite verses in Psalms. It's right across my fridge in my home. You come to my home, it's this verse. Psalm 138 verse 6. Though the Lord is high, yet he has respect to the humble. Teaching our children to serve. Be reminded that what God requires of us is to walk justly, to be humble, to resist pride, but to love. In Psalm verse 10, many verses this morning, in verse 17, it says, The Lord hears. The Lord hears. He, he inclines. The actual uh, literal version is that he comes down and he listens intently. That's the idea. He inclines and he listens intently. The desires of the humble. And it says again in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, before honor, listen to this principle, before honor is humility. So to put it simple, all these verses right through the Old and New Testament, we are told and reminded to put on humility, to be clothed in humility, and to walk in humility. And, and friends, I know this is really tough. It's hard. It's not easy. And I think this is defining, this is a defining sin of humanity. Pride. It really is. You see, all other sins, all other sins, what it does, it, it actually, it feeds, it feeds pride. All temptations, all solicitations to do the evil of any kind are based literally on self-gratification, on pride. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. The principle of humility, of being humble, of being a servant. That's why our Lord is having a very difficult time in this passage getting the lesson across to his disciples. We're, we're talking about his disciples, his followers, his intimate friends, the people who he's spent most of his time with in ministry. And, and they love Jesus. We all love Jesus. 
We love spending time with God in His Word. We love Jesus just like they did. They love the truth. We love the truth. They believe in Him. We believe in Him. They believe in His kingdom and His authority. We believe in His kingdom and His authority. They are saved. <laughs> We're saved. They have been regenerated. We've been regenerated. The gospel has come to us and we have the Holy Spirit just like they would have the intimacy of their relationship with Jesus. We have that with God because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And yet they still struggle. They still struggled with pride. And I don't know about you, brothers, and I want to be raw here with you. It's my biggest sin. Pride. We struggle with it. You see, many these disciples in this moment, they had a materialistic way of thinking about the kingdom. What do I get out of this, Jesus? What am I going to get out of this? Because of their own personal desires and ambitions. They were looking for elevation. They were looking for that position. And I, and I have to remind myself, because I can be harsh on these disciples, but remember these men, they were ordinary men. They were ordinary men in the sense that they were fishermen, uh, they were workers. They came from humble families. They, they didn't come from anyone that was greatly uh, acknowledged in that world at that particular time. They weren't noble men or mighty. They were common folk. And the notion that they could be elevated for the first time in their lives, it, it would have meant something for them. Let's be real. Wow. I'm going to have a, I have a, I can have a position next to Jesus. You see, they've been serving others all their lives. They've been at the lower end of the, of, of what we call the social strata, that, that bottom end. And suddenly, because of who Jesus is and him being well known and respected and people are looking at him and they're looking at the disciples, they think, wow, what an opportunity. But the problem was they didn't understand the kingdom. And this is what Jesus was teaching them. Now, they knew about the kingdom. They didn't understand what kingdom life meant. Remember James and John in particular were at the transfiguration. They saw something spectacular. They, they have an exalted understanding of spiritual, spiritual understanding of who Christ was and who he is. They saw something amazing. And instead of this opportunity of seeing that in the transfiguration of Christ, instead of obtaining and receiving humility, it fed their pride, because of what we read here and other places in Scripture. It's interesting because Peter even expresses that, that attitude in chapter 10, if you read earlier, in verse 28, when he says, We have left everything, Jesus. <laughs> we, we, we've done everything you've asked us, and we've come, and now we're following you. And if you read in the other gospel, the writers say that he also added, well, what's in it for us, Jesus? We've done everything. We've left everything. What is it? What's in it for us? Come on, I think sometimes about this. And I think about what Peter and others would have said. We've done everything. The self-denial. We've, we've taken up our cross. We've chosen to follow you. We've lost our life. We've done it all. What is it, in, what is it in it for us? What do we get out of this, Jesus? 
I tell you, pride, pride can be very deep-seated in our lives. It can be in there and we sometimes don't realize how much we tend to feed it. You see, they wanted, what they want was fulfillment. They wanted satisfaction. And, and consequently, when Jesus talks about his own suffering, what, what they do is they push it away. They push it away. In chapter 8, if you read earlier in verse 31, he tells them that he's going to die and that he's going to rise again. And then in chapter 9, verse 31, he tells them he's going to die and rise again. Later on in chapter 10, verse 32 to 34, we, the passage that we just looked at, the same thing. We're going to see that, they, that they're going to be delivered into the hands of the enemy. There's so, many suffer, so much suffering going to happen. They're going to be condemned to death. They're going to be handed over to the Gentiles, etc., and etc. And all these things are going to happen. But I think about this in my own personal life. What is Jesus wanting to teach me and teach us in regards to all this? I think the issue with pride gets in the way of what God wants to accomplish in our lives. He wants to teach us so many things, but we allow pride to get into our lives because it's so deep-seated into our hearts. But Peter, we know this, because he learned about humility later. By the time he wrote his epistle, and we know that Paul, <laughs> Paul is a model of humility, but in Acts chapter 20, serving the Lord with all humility in mind, it, we, we find that there's a lesson in this chapter for all of us. It's a lesson that they eventually had to learn. That it wasn't easy and it was never going to be easy for them to learn about humility. It was never going to be easy. Because understand that all the disciples, the followers of Jesus, their life ended up in death as martyrs. So the story that we're reading and learning about humility and about pride and all these things and we're looking at the disciples lives understand they did learn eventually because it cost them their lives now as we look at our text it unfolds in two possible paths of greatness or to greatness you see, there are two possible paths to greatness. Possible because, because I want to tell you, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to change in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because of our own strength, but because Christ is in us. And the Holy Spirit changes us. We've been transformed into a likeness of Christ. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of our own power. You see, the first one is that path of self-promotion. The path of self-promotion would be the first one. And the path of self-denial would be the second one. So there are two paths of self-promotion or self-denial. The path of self-promotion and the path of self-denial, they're, they're laid out to us in this particular passage and they're teaching us and the Lord is teaching us in this wonderful text and the first one we know it's a carnal path it's a carnal path it's it's our own desires it's 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 actually not being resistant to the pride aspect of our lives it's actually accepting and wanting those things the other one is spiritual because we want to do what Christ wants from our lives and to bring glory and honor to him now as we look at this incident with with james and john coming to jesus making their request that we read earlier i want you to see how this breaks out into some characteristics of self-promotion let's think about this these th there's these characteristics of self-promotion and remember we're talking about this path to greatness through self-promotion 
That's what they were seeking. They wanted to be great by elevating themselves. First, what we see here, it's, it's motiva- motivated by self-ambition. A lot of times in our lives, you know, we have motivations that we want to be really special. Or we want to be number one. Look at verse 35. It says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. That's literally the literal name. So they're very quick. They're, they're very uh, quick in their request. Uh, they were both brash, bold men. Not, no problem with asking, as you can tell in this passage. They had no issues. They were, the, uh, they were in the inner circle of Jesus. They were right there with Jesus all the time. They were with Jesus intimately, together with Peter. And, and these were the most intimate disciples of Jesus. And because of their intimacy, because of their participation in the transfiguration, remember that particular moment, because they've been privy to so many private conversations with our Lord Jesus, they were sure that they are certainly above and beyond everyone else. And so this has come to the place in their minds where they're bold enough, bold enough, saying to Jesus, what is it, what's in it for us? You see, this characteristic, it's, it's something that we all sometimes have in our own lives, that self-ambition. What can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? But it's not just them. Matthew tells us that, <laughs> interesting enough, if you read the, the parallel story, that Matthew tells us that their mother came with them. Their mother, their mother came with them, asking. Now, I don't know about you, but the mother of Zebedee's children came. It says there in Matthew twenty twenty. you can read it later. And this is important to understand, but why would you bring your mother to tell Jesus, hey, uh, don't forget us? They brought their mother. I mean, come on, be, I was just thinking, be a man. Why, why bring your mum? You know, bringing your mum, what, what's with that? But it wasn't just their mum. It was, listen to this. They didn't just bring their mother. It was who their mother was. See, when you study the crucifixion of Jesus and Christ in the account of Matthew, Mark, and John, you see there, there are three women at the cross. You study this. And Mary, the mother of our Lord, Mary Magdalene, and a third woman. The third woman who is at the cross is identified in three, and this is interesting, in three different ways. Matthew actually calls her the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So it's this woman, which means she hung in there. She was there with Jesus right to the very end. She was one of those three Wonderful women who were with Jesus. And remember, when the disciples had fled, she was there. She hung in there. She was at the cross. It's a strong faith there, this particular woman. Strong faith. And Matthew calls her the the mother of Zebedee. Mark calls her Salome. Salome. So that is her name. John calls her the sister of Jesus' mother. So their mother is Jesus' aunt. That's literally who we are talking about. So what happens? This is now a family deal. <laughs> the, the disciples, they, uh, they, these, these particular men, they bring uh, their, you know, Jesus' aunt. Maybe she can reaffirm the importance of us being elevated. See, what they're going to do is play the family card here. See, not only were we at the transfiguration, not only are we intimately involved with with you, Jesus, in your inner circle, but your mother, hey, is our mother's sister. That's got to be good, something big, really big. So she was brought into it. 
She didn't ask anything for herself. She didn't ask if she could have a seat on the, on the table. She would find her proud fulfillment through her children. Like unsuccessful people with, I think, sometimes bumper stickers. I don't know if you see them. They're like looking out. What, what can I do? What can I find? And Matthew, Mark, see, they, they're, they're, wanting, they're wanting things of Jesus, these disciples. Self-ambition. Self-ambition. And what I find interesting is I learned through this passage, particular passage in Scripture in my own life, is that many times we look at ways in our own ministry, in our own lives, on how to obtain Respect, how to obtain that applause. And we forget that we're serving the King of Kings. Look at verse 35 for a minute. They do something quite interesting that's typical of a small child. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I don't know about you, but do you remember when your kids wanted you to say yes before you told them what they wanted? Like my daughter, she would say to me, Dad, look, I'm going to ask you something, but can you say yes first? You know, I don't know if it happens to you, Mum and Dad, when your children say, just say yes, and then I'll ask you. And I said, that doesn't make sense. That's not going to work. You've got to tell me what you want, and I'll decide whether or not you can have it or not, or I can fulfill but they do something very interesting here. They, they play like children. And, and you know what? That's about as immature as it gets. It's really immature. You see, what they wanted, they wanted to, do, they wanted to get something out of Jesus. So they're saying, just, just say yes. Just say yes, Jesus. And maybe it's an emotional moment in their lives. Maybe they're just really looking for something. And sure, we'll, you know, he'll do what we want because we've brought everything to the table. We're, we're one of his best friends. Uh, his mother is our mother's sister. Uh, we've seen the transfiguration. We've experienced all that. He will give us what we want. But look what Jesus, what he said to them. What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? What are you asking? You don't even know what you're asking. You see, they're not even in the zone of humility. They don't even know where, what humility is at this particular stage. They're in another neighborhood altogether, as we would say. They're so far removed from humility. And after all the humility the Lord had demonstrated, Think about his life. Think about what he had taught them. Think about all the miracles that they experienced. And they're coming down to the very last week of the life of Jesus. And they still hadn't learned anything by watching the humble Christ, Jesus. Everything he ever said was an expression of humility. Everything he ever did was about humility. All his deeds. And here they are. They're bold. They're brash. Proud. Sinfully. Selfishly. Ambitious. And friends, I'm going to tell you, pride is ugly. It's extremely ugly. They don't even realize what's happening. It's also brutal and unloving because they never think of the fact that they are deliberately and purposely depreciating all of the other disciples. They're thinking about themselves. Pride is not good for relationships with other people. Earlier somebody prayed about or challenged us about our testimony at work or at school with our unsaved friends.
Remember, this is what caused the Lord. If you read the, the Gospels and you read the Scriptures, you will find that it's the kind of thing that caused the Lord the following week when He met with them in the upper room to say, the world would know that you are my disciples when you love one another, just as I have loved you. You know, the Bible teaches us in John chapter 17, that we're at unity because when Christ prayed to the Father, He prayed to the Father and He said, I pray that they will be one. He's talking about His disciples, that they will be one just like you and I are one. Why? So the whole world would know that you have sent the Son. The danger of pride. It could turn people away from the gospel. And that's the way it is in the world with pride. That's what you get. That's how you get to the top of the world when you are a driven or ambitious and self-centered and self-promoting person who plays every card you can find. That's how the world does it. And yet the scripture and the principles and the stories that we learn from Jesus and throughout scripture, we find that that's opposite with Christians as followers of Jesus. This is another feature of pride that rears its ugly head as well, that pops up often. And we call it being arrogant or overconfident. There's so much, this is so much of a part of a people's life and attitude today. It's obviously everywhere. You think about that. They say, we want to sit, this is what they said, we want to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. You know, at least we, we could compliment them because you know what? They were theologically right about the fact that they were going to be spending time in heaven or glory, going to be there. But look what they were thinking. They thought that they could get more out of Jesus, so confident and arrogant while here on earth and while in heaven, we will have that position. And I don't know if you realize this, but in the ancient times, kings elevated people who were, who were the very highest to the right and left hand. So if you had a position at the king's table, you would sit at the right hand. And that would be shown to everyone how much importance the king has placed over you by giving you that seat, by acknowledging you before every single person. But what Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples that you know what? You want to be elevated? You want a seat at the table? Understand there's going to be suffering. Suffering. You see, I don't know if you realize, but drinking the cup and being baptized, when it talks about this in Scripture, drinking the cup and being baptized in this particular passage are references to suffering. And what the Lord is saying is this, look, you're asking to be elevated in the kingdom. Do you understand that what that is? Do you understand that that reward is actually suffering? The prin that's a principle here. You want glory, but you don't want the suffering. When Jesus talked about the cross or about his cross, they didn't want to ask any questions about it. They didn't want any more information. Don't, don't talk about that, Jesus, about the suffering, about the death. Don't talk about that. They just wanted that to go away. It was Peter who really articulated this in the view of all of them when he said, no, no, Lord, that will never happen. It can't happen. It won't happen. They should have known the Old Testament prophets had said about the, the Messiah that he would die. They didn't want anything to do with that. None of them did. They didn't want any suffering from him, for him. No suffering. They didn't want any suffering for them. They, they, they're ignorant in the basic principle that the reward and honor corresponds directly to sacrificial suffering. That's what that cup that the Lord drank when he asked it to be passed or not to drink, not to go through, because they knew it was a lot of suffering. 
when he prayed, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 26, my, not my will, but your will be done. You see, he was going to drink the cup of God's wrath. He would drink it to the bottom. And that's the image. Drinking the cup was literally taking it all in. And as we finish, and as we wrap things up, I want to encourage us with some encouraging things this morning because we just can't leave it there. The suffering. We all suffer. And our Lord's gentle answer, Jesus said to them in verse 39, the cup that I drink, you shall also drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. Because we know the story that all of the disciples suffered. They were killed and martyred for their faith. Oh, the suffering. You'll have that. You will have that. Yes, you will drink the cup in full and you will be submerged into suffering for James. Remember James? He's a first martyr of the New Testament, for, of the disciples. For John, he's the last martyr <laughs> of the disciples. James, martyrdom had his head cut off. It came fast, soon and suddenly, lightning quick. For John, it was a slow agonizing disappointing death as an exile in the end of the century on an island but even so here in verse 40 to sit on my right or my left this is not mine to give but is for those whom has been prepared and we know that these disciples suffered because they learned about humility You see, in the world, we have this audacious, sinful, self-promoting, arrogant ambition. And then you have this self-confidence. And then you have this spirit of competition. That's what the disciples had. And where everybody wants to climb on everyone else's neck. And look, they're up in the upper room. The disciples, they're sitting with Jesus. They had just had a hard time humbling themselves and our Lord is so kind to them. It's now time to go to school. Class, class literally for them is convened here in verse 32, 42 when he's calling them to himself, to them to, to learn and understand. And he's saying, friends, my dear friends, guys, understand. Suffering is going to happen. What's he saying? What's he saying to us? He's saying to his disciples that with suffering, you're going to learn to be humble. You're going to learn to serve others. You're going to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. You're going to learn to live your lives forsaking all and at the end, you are going to die just like I died on the cross, suffering. You know, it's a stark contrast between great men of the world today. It's interesting here that the Lord Jesus talks about the being a servant. And he's teaching them about being a servant. And there are many words in the New Testament that describes the word servant. And they're all Greek words and they all describe a function. They all describe a trait. But here this particular word is something very interesting when he talks about being a servant. This word here means literally a table waiter. 
a table waiter. He's saying, consider everybody a a person to be served, in other words. To be a table waiter. And consider everyone to be your master. You know, we as Christians, representing, as somebody said earlier today, ambassadors or representatives of Christ. The principle of 1 Corinthians, representing Christ. What does that mean for us as Christians? We are to be tables waiters. We are to be servants just like Jesus. Because look what it says in verse 45. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to be a table waiter. To be a table waiter and to give his life a ransom for many. The greatest service and the greatest slavery slavery was shown by Christ. You see, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He didn't come like all other kings to be served. He came to serve. Remember what it tells us, what Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, do nothing, do nothing, nothing from selfishness or, or, or empty conceit. And that's, what, that, that's so important to do nothing out of those two things. Don't, don't do it uh, for selfish purposes. Serve one another. Serve like Christ served. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility in mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do you regard one another more important than yourself? This is a model that Jesus wanted to leave his disciples. Don't look out for your own personal interests. Don't look out for what's good for you. Look out for others. Look at the interests of others. Have this attitude. Have this mindset of serving one another. Scripture continues there in Philippians says, And have this attitude in yourself which was in Christ Jesus who, although he he existed in from the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a doulos, a servant, a slave, the form of a slave. He humbled himself to the point of death, even on the cross. And what happened to Jesus? For this reason, God highly, highly exalted him. He made his greatest sacrifice something that was most exalted. God raised him. God gave him a name, what? Above every name. He got the highest name because he made the greatest sacrifice. And that's a principle. The greater the sacrifice, the more the glory. And the glory is for God. The greatest sacrifice gets the greatest glory. That's Christ. He's our model. He's our example. That's a pattern. That's what Christ, that's what Jesus was wanting to teach his disciples about humility. You want greatness for kingdom in the kingdom? Well, you know what? It's got to do with your service. You want to you be great? Serve one another. At the end of verse 45, he gave his life. We know that. Why? A ransom for many. A ransom for many. The Greek word here is lutron. That word. And it means he, the price paid for the release of a slave. That's what he did. The price paid for the release of a slave. It was only used in this particular passage. His life as a price paid for the release of a slave. He paid our price, brothers and sisters. And to whom was the ransom paid? It was paid to God. God needed a price to be paid for your release and my release. 
the rescue plan that God had was only going to be fulfilled in the life of his son, Jesus. Jesus, the only one who could pay that price in full. No other form of sacrifice would be suffice. Only the price of Jesus' blood. That's why today we are grateful. We are thankful. And this is the the message that God had laid on my heart all these last few weeks about serving, about loving others. See, the path to greatness is not the world's way. It's God's way. God's way. So I want to pray with us this morning and I want to pray with you. So would you bow your heads with me and as we take some time to talk to God. This ransomed. The ransom bought by the sacrificial death of Christ. It was the Son of God who paid, who pays the ransom for us. He provided a path, a way. into God's kingdom. And it's through this humble sacrifice of our Lord Jesus that we can come before the heavenly our, our heavenly Father and stand before the throne of grace. God raised him up from the dead. So we can have life, life everlasting. Father, we thank you. Father, God, we thank you again for the worship this morning of singing before you, Lord, and coming just as we are, Lord, sinners saved by grace. Thank you, God, for the fellowship. Lord, there is such joy in music and praise. I thank you for the team who led us so wonderfully this morning. We thank you now for the truth of Scripture, God. The lessons we all need so much to learn and to relearn and to learn and to relearn again and again. May your Holy Spirit truly change us for your glory. May we give our lives in service as slaves to all. May we be table waiters as we are slaves to you, Lord Jesus. What a high and holy privilege it is to serve you, God. Lord, we know that we have folks and friends and family who are outside of the kingdom who do not know you, Jesus. Who do not know of the wonderful love that God has provided a way, rescue, provided a rescue plan for them. God, we pray for them. We pray for our loved ones, our friends, our family who don't know you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that today, even now as we're praying, increase our faith in such a way that their hearts will be touched as we pray for them. They're in this world that looks and searches for hope and we know that that hope is found in the cross just like the one behind me. The emblem of, of shame because it was there that sin was placed on our Lord Jesus but it's also an emblem of hope because it was there on that cross that you made a way for every person to find hope and forgiveness. Thank you, God, for this morning and for your word. Thank you 
we're applying all these things to our hearts and as individuals we leave this place and we we take truth with us now we we move from this venue into our homes and into our afternoon activities believing that you have spoken to our hearts father may your words search our hearts and change us god change us and may it help us to serve others even today as we point them to jesus we love you lord and we pray all these things in your precious name Amen.